part of the problem is that there aren't ways to be recognized as doing your job well aside from a promotion to become editor or senior reporter or whatever it may be. Hello and welcome to the Talking Leaders podcast. This is season two, conversations about promotion. I'm Paul Gisby. In many jobs, getting on and getting promoted can often require people to move away from the work that initially attracted them to a profession. This, as Serena Bergman described to me, is a particular dilemma for journalists, for whom the love of writing is a key driver, but who may need to take on jobs with less and less writing in order to gain recognition and financial security. Serena has worked for a number of print and digital media outlets and so has got plenty of experience of dealing with this tension herself. So my first question was, how has Serena's perception of getting promoted developed over her career? So I think it's definitely changed over time. I think most of us start out in our careers with this idea that success means promotion, and I think that's the idea that's often fed to us by you know, subconsciously through world messaging. But I think over the years, especially being freelance, I realised that what is typically considered promotion in journalism isn't necessarily what I would consider to be success. And I think in journalism, especially if you're a writer, where the publications that you write for and the stories you write carry more weight in terms of measuring success, both in the industry and on individual level, definitely for me. And I think for lots of people... So it's interesting because I think lots of people kind of take jobs in journalism with the end goal being to have that freedom to write the stories that you want to write and to be able to write for outlets that you love and respect. So it's kind of an interesting industry in that way because that's how I think a lot of writers see it and that's definitely how I've come to see it now. Mm. But so you said getting promoted doesn't necessarily fit with, with what your ambitions might be as a writer. But so what does getting promoted mean? What, what, what kind of positions do people get promoted to? So it's, journalism is super in- interesting as an industry. And I don't know if other industries work this way. It may be. But because it's changed so much in the past few decades, you know, with digital becoming a thing, a lot of the structures that were in place in the past for print don't necessarily translate super well to digital. But because of those legacy type of titles and legacy structures, you have lots of these kind of roles that exist and the hierarchy becomes quite complex. So the typical trajectory, I suppose, would be junior reporter, senior reporter, and then perhaps editor, senior editor. And then you would, so that would be kind of an editor within a desk. And then if you are editor of a desk or a section um, or a publication that would I suppose typically be um, the end goal although lots of people also move from being reporters or editors to being correspondent which is also a 
senior title, I suppose, typically, which essentially means that you're an expert in your field and you have a lot more freedom to kind of write about those areas. But then when you get beyond that, it gets quite complex. I'm sure you've heard of you know, editor-in-chief, editor-at-large, executive editor, managing editor, all of these different titles, which different publications seem to have completely different definitions of how they work and what they mean. So I think typically for journalists, it sort of stops at that desk editor. And by a desk, I mean um, a section of a publication. So that might be news editor, comment editor, lifestyle editor, whatever that may be. And after that, I do think that the idea of getting promoted becomes a lot more complex. And people often typically move from ed desk editor, a smaller publication to a desk editor, a bigger publication. And that sort of becomes the promotion because once once you get above that, it there's ultimately there's limited journalism to be done because you have so much responsibility. So hands on writing just isn't so much of a thing. It's a lot more managerial. It's a lot more high level strategy. And while those are great positions, I think lots of journalists aren't necessarily looking for that kind of role. So, yeah, it kind of depends what level of seniority you come to. But I think it, it really does depend on what people are hoping for, really. I, if I had to guess, I would say that part of the problem is that there aren't ways to be recognised as doing your job well, aside from a promotion to become, you know, editor or senior reporter or whatever it may be. If you're an, a staff journalist, that is really the way that your success is measured and acknowledged. And without that, unless you're a correspondent, like I said, and you're breaking massive stories, it's very hard for someone who's journalist, a reporter somewhere, a writer somewhere, to advance their career. Journalism is also notoriously badly paid. No one becomes a journalist to be rich. But obviously, the higher up your job title is, the more money you're making. So someone could well have been a reporter for five, six years on an incredibly low salary, and the only way that they will ever be able to achieve some more sort of financial comfort is to move up in that way. So I think that does play a part. And also, I think people like the idea of the control. So if you are a desk editor like I am, you essentially have or in principle have the freedom to decide how things are covered, what is done, how it's done. This isn't to say that all journalists come from this perspective, but lots of journalists do, at least if they dig down deep to why they wanted to be journalists, it is out of some sense of public service, although that's often mixed together with narcissism. But it is a sense of wanting to, you know, report on stories that we think are interesting and inform the public. And there is a lot more freedom to be able to execute what your vision is if you do get to the point of being an editor as opposed to being a reporter. So I think that plays a part as well. Right. So there's a mixture of wanting to make a difference and also uh, you know, wanting to actually make your mark and being creative, I guess, in some ways as well. Yeah. And I think although people know to some extent what editors do, I don't think everyone necessarily knows whether they'd be good at it or enjoy it. I've definitely found myself in a similar situation where you know, there are elements of a job that you just don't realise are factors when you're at a lower level. And so I think for lots of journalists, as it must be in lots of other industries, the idea of the promotion is super enticing. And you might know in the back of your mind that it's probably 
not going to be quite the way you imagine it but when it comes to doing it you might it, it might take up until that point for someone to recognize that what they enjoy actually isn't being an editor so I think that factors in as well like I said the seniority comes with a huge amount of responsibility and what I mean by that is that in journalism mistakes get made a lot people are working incredibly fast to super tight deadlines the pressure is enormous and if you make any mistake it's public which isn't the case in lots of other jobs and every day say I'm an editor and I'm publishing 15 stories a day that's 15 opportunities for massive mistakes to happen and then they get called out on Twitter and then it becomes a circus and this has happened to me many times over my career can you talk us through one can you talk us through one if you can Serena um okay years ago and this doesn't necessarily relate to promotion but years ago I wrote an opinion piece this was when I was freelance and so I wrote a piece it was about IVF about uh, how there was an argument to be made for it not to be available on the NHS based on the idea that being able to conceive should be integral to women's rights is arguably not a very progressive point of view was my argument anyway I wrote it I filed it it went up I didn't look at it I didn't have access to any of their traffic data I couldn't see how well it was doing the next thing I knew it blew up and I went on a few media outlets like broadcast outlets to discuss the issue I think um, something to highlight here is that this is not an issue that I feel personally super passionately about it was an opinion like something you might discuss at the pub and be like oh when you looked at it this way what about this definitely not my area of expertise or particular interest frankly but it was a provocative opinion and the amount of vitriol that I received subsequently was unparalleled I've never had anything like it it went on for weeks I had people trying to dox me trying to put my my address on like different forums online and constant barrage on Twitter on Instagram my emails I had to switch off my phone it was quite it was a big deal and something that's interesting to me is that for my editor presumably that was great it was great publicity it was great traffic loads of people were reading the piece but for me it had like a huge amount of personal impact that still kind of troubles me to this day I haven't written a provocative opinion piece since I don't think but if it were me as an editor who was commissioning that and it had been massively called out as being hugely problematic and awful then I would feel that it was my responsibility to address that and I think those are issues that we deal with all the time and during the Black Lives Matter movement is another really good example you know where lots of editors are white like me and we were having to deal with incredibly sensitive stories written often by people who were personally affected by the issues at play and there was a huge huge amount of responsibility to not screw this up and it was really tough it was really tough to kind of keep your brain focused enough to be able to publish all of this content and make sure that you're not making any mistakes on very very sensitive issues so i suppose that's what i mean about mistakes in a long-winded way and the responsibility around mistakes being incredibly public and i think that is something that's relatively unique to journalism i think as an editor you have to balance a fine line trusting your reporters because you don't have the time necessarily or the ability to fact check every single thing that a reporter says in every single story especially if you're a news editor news editors 
you know, deal with so, so, so many stories every day um, that you have to be able to trust your reporters and you should be able to trust them. But when mistakes are made, it's typically the editor who will face the backlash, as is the case in many jobs, I think, but typically not super publicly all over the Internet. Yeah, no, that that was extreme and it uh, it can't have been easy. Um. Can you think of a time when you felt you were discriminated against for promotion in terms of, uh, I don't know, being a woman, for example? Um, it's a difficult one. I think that definitely there have been instances in my career where my gender has subconsciously impacted people's perception of me. So, for example, when it comes to being an opinionated person, which you kind of have to be if you work in opinion journalism, which I did for a few years on a freelance basis for various different publications. I think that that kind of having a strong opinion that you're willing to put forward publicly is perceived in men as something that is uh, very positive. You know, it's kind of confrontational and it shows that people are confident in their own ideas. Whereas in women, I think it can often translate as being difficult, being argumentative, being too outspoken, too loud. And while those things shouldn't impact people's choices, I think if that is the opinion that predominantly male interviewers uh, or bosses have of you, it can be very difficult to shake. And I think that's definitely something that I've experienced. And I would say instinctively that I think those traits would have been perceived differently if I were a man. And there's definitely a job that I applied for in that field, which I didn't get, which was given to a man with less experience than me, that I believe was in part impacted by subconscious biases due to me being a woman and a young woman. Mm. I mean, you know, I know many, many women journalists who know for a fact that there are men at their same level or lower than them who are getting paid more. I mean, that happens a lot, (laughs) especially because, like I said, uh, structures and journalism just don't really make a lot of sense. So you can have a similar job title, but there's no specific necessarily like bracket of salary attached to that. And then obviously you have all of these kind of dependent on experience situations, which are very um, subjective and often end in men getting paid more. And again, not because the people making these decisions are you know, horrendous misogynist simply because they subconsciously perceive the value of a man to be higher than the value of a woman or the value of a white person to be higher than the value of a black person or whatnot. Um, that definitely happens. It's, yeah, it's it's a real problem. And what about the pub? I think it used to be years ago, there were stories that boozy lunches and going out for drinks with the lads were a key part of being a successful journalist. Is the pub still an important part of getting on in journalism? Well, definitely. I don't know any journalist going to the pub at lunchtime. But after work, you know, after you've done a 12-hour shift, and there's something about journalism as well that kind of unites journalists. Because if it's a big news day, say, you know, last Saturday when Boris Johnson announced Tier 4, everyone who was working that day was working on that story pretty much or covering it in some way. And that's across all British publications. Everyone was 
doing the same thing. People did not leave on time. Uh, people did not take lunch breaks. People ended up working crazy hours, I'm sure, everywhere. People who weren't working were called in to help. So there's a real sense of camaraderie in the industry, I think, around these specific things. And it's something that journalists will talk about a lot if you go for drinks with journalists who work at different publications. It's, oh, were you working on the day that this happened or that happened? And I think because you have that sense of we all worked on the same thing together, there's often a sense of wanting to decompress together because, you you know, I can come home to my partner and we can try and talk about it, but no one's going to understand it the way my colleagues will. So I think that it's that type of work which has lent itself to a culture of people spending time together outside of work and often going for drinks because we are British and that's what we do when we finish work. In terms of, you know, whether being invited to those drinks means that you will get promoted. No, it's definitely not that black and white, but it's definitely a way that you build relationships with people. If you're both hung over the next day, you will chat about that. Um, and that's really a part of kind of networking in the industry within your publication and at other places and if you're freelance you know across the board every Christmas back in the day before Covid there were you know so many parties Christmas parties for journalists lots of them lots of them created by PR people to promote their products and it's free drinks so free drinks will attract journalists and all of these are kind of networking events in a certain type of way and not going does not mean that you will never get promoted or you will never get a job. But does being a part of that culture give you a slight leg up? I would say that, yes, it it has to. Didn't class used to be a factor as well? I mean, is that still the case? Absolutely. And, you know, there's a real issue in journalism around class and the fact that a huge number of journalists, I don't know the percentage off the top of my head, but um, went to private schools a huge, huge number. And, you know, part of the reason for that is the fact that it is typically a low paid job, but also, you know, the barriers to entry are really big and often involve working for free. And people who do not have some level of financial backing or privilege don't have that opportunity. And similar thing can be said for going to the pub or going for drinks or going to events. If you don't live in London, or if you're a freelancer who's not getting a lot of work, or if you're on a really low entry level salary and you're having to pay to live in London, it becomes much harder to participate in these sorts of things. And so that's definitely a big barrier that I think in some ways is discussed a lot, but in other ways isn't considered enough. And there's a lack of understanding of intersectionality being an issue and that you know you can't just balance out the scales of diversity by hiring lots of gay people or lots of women or whatever you know it's about properly diversifying an industry and that involves more than just kind of talking the talk and making token hires mm, classic example of built-in bias I, I just had a quick look actually I'll, I'll include some links to data on this um, but the numbers for journalists who went to private school, uh, Sutton Trust in 2019 said that in the UK, in the media, 43% of the 100 most influential news editors and broadcasters and 44% of newspaper columnists went to fee-paying schools, as opposed to 7% in the general population. Hmm. Okay, um, what are your promotion ambitions now, Serena? 
I mean, I don't, I actually don't have such a thing. Um, I think it's an interesting time that we're speaking because it's just before the new year. Um, obviously, it is a time where lots of people set goals um, and reflect. 2020 has been such a strange year that I, the idea of trying to set out any specific goals feels a little too uncertain. But I think career wise, it's, yeah, I, I don't have any kind of ambitions to become anything high up <laughs> I suppose um that's not something that I'm really looking for anymore I mean it would be nice to have financial security of course but I think more important than that is really to me like I was talking about kind of to have a job which allows for freedom and to be able to do the sorts of things that I find interesting and to continue to learn and evolve as a journalist I think really that's my goal and as well as kind of various other projects that I want to pursue um, that aren't necessarily just writing articles and those things the ability to kind of diversify my work a little bit and to be able to kind of reach milestones in terms of what I write and how it's received and what you do you know like when you write a story which has an impact whether it goes viral or whether um, it leads to change in legislation or it becomes a story that's picked up by loads of other outlets that you found all of those things are to me more valuable than perhaps like the job title that happens to be on my cv and I don't necessarily mean that to come across sort of overly moralistic it's not that I don't care about having a good job I do but it, I've just kind of learned that my personal sense of success and also what is broadly considered to be success doesn't really rest on the idea of getting a promotion from you know senior writer to editor or editor to senior editor or whatever that may be. Right tell me how much does it matter to you what other people think about how successful you are based upon the job that you have? I think it matters hugely I mean you know journalism is a public facing job and I think it's also it can be a high profile job everyone thinks that they know what a journalist does and they think they know what measure of success is for journalism but I suppose it depends on the people is the answer so a good example maybe uh years ago when I left the Guardian um I ended up working at a startup my grandmother was devastated why would you leave the Guardian you know and and it's something that I heard a lot from people perhaps who are a little bit older, more established, family members and so on, like crazy, you know, amazing opportunity, why would you leave? And for me, it was a lot more exciting to go and work at a startup. And I thought that I would learn so much. I thought that I would have so many more opportunities that I would never have somewhere like The Guardian, which is so structured that chances to grow are limited. But for me, it was a measure of success in my own way. And I also knew that it was pretty cool it was a cool job to have and to the people that think the way that I think that was a I guess more prestigious in a strange kind of way um so I think there's definitely a sense of you know what are people going to think but I often try to think about it in terms of like well if I think that this is better or this is cooler or this is like a measure of success to me then people who are like-minded will think the same way and so, you know, writing for the New York Times might be the dream for some people and writing for, I don't know, the cut might be it for someone else. And I try to kind of remember that because it is really hard to turn down or move away from opportunities that are considered 
by the general public to be more prestigious. But I think it's always important to remember that if you think it's better, there's other people out there who think so too. But and John, journalists are like innately a bit self-centered, I think, and a bit show-offy. Um, it's part of the job. And I know that I'm definitely like that. There's nothing like the feeling of getting an article commissioned, writing it, it getting published, and then putting it on Twitter and doing the whole, I wrote a thing. You know, there's a reason that people do that. It's it's a rush and it's exciting and people start commenting and saying, that's an amazing story, well done. And I think that for a lot of us, a lot of freelance journalists, that is what keeps us going every day. Mm-hmm. Did it work out with the startup? Start, the startup? Uh, it depends on how you look at it. It's not around anymore, but... I had an amazing time, spent a year and a half there, learned so much, did so much. And yeah, learned, I mean, before I did that job, I was covering startups. So it was also, you know, I'm super interested in entrepreneurship as a concept. So from that perspective, it was amazing. Um, and I met, you know, some amazing friends. So I wouldn't consider it to have been a failure and I don't regret the choice. Now you, yeah, it sounds like you got a great deal from it, and as a result, that was it was a you know very good development move, if nothing else. Um, okay, um, all right, we're ne- we're nearly done. Thank you very much. That was a great story, by the way, about the Guardian thing. Thank you for that. That was that was a beautiful illustration. Um, so somebody comes to you and uh, and and they they see you're a, you're a seasoned, experienced, successful journalist, and they they ask your advice on getting promoted. What would you say to them? What are your top tips? I mean, I suppose it it would massively depend on their on their situation and circumstance. I speak more to young people who want to be journalists, so I don't know if that is helpful. I suppose I suppose what I want to say is not what I would say. What I would like to be able to say to people is work really hard, work out what job it is that you want, and then make a plan for it and prove to people that you have interesting ideas, that you're innovative, that you can come up with cool things that no one else has ever thought of. And that will be how you can prove your worth in an industry where lots of people are stuck in ways that have been around for hundreds of years and haven't changed much despite the world around us changing. That's what I wish were more rewarded. In practice, I would probably say, keep your head down, don't cause too much trouble, but make sure that you're getting out there, that people know your name and try and go to the pub with your boss. I mean, for what it's worth, I don't think I've personally ever got a promotion for going to the pub with my boss, Um, (laughs) but it can't hurt. A big thank you to Serena for taking the time out from her Christmas holiday to talk with me. Have you had to contend with the pull of wanting to keep doing what you love versus getting on in your career? I'd love to hear your experiences. By the way, a quick update on Serena. Since we recorded this interview, she's taken on a new role with online magazine The Insider as digital culture editor for the UK. And, separately to this, she and a friend have set up The Twig, a daily Instagram page that unpacks what people are talking about on the internet, which I must say I'm very much enjoying myself. Links in the show notes. I'm Paul Gisby of Talking Leaders. We help leaders who want to get heard, be understood, and to build trust. Goodbye.